Morning, everyone. Good morning. So a few months ago, Eddie came up to me and he says, Brian, I need one of the most interesting guys in our church to help me talk about one of the most interesting books in the Bible. Okay, <laughs> that's not true at all. Um, but I do want to tell you a story that is true. Um, about a year or two ago, I started into the book of Leviticus, and I seem to remember that it wasn't much of anybody's favorite book in the Bible. I just remember going through it thinking, like, this is hardly boring. Like, there's so much going on here. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, there's something. So Patty and I were at dinner at her in -law, my in-laws at her parents' house, and I looked over at Mike, and I decided to breach the conversation with him, and I said, you know, Mike, I've started into the book of Leviticus, and my lovely wife promptly entered the conversation, exclaiming to her father with like a disbelief. She says, and he's actually enjoying it. And then she said something like, it's like reading a phone book. So Mike, ever the steadfast leader of the house, countered and he said, now uh, it's important that we not disparage the word of God and every book of the Bible has merit and purpose. And then he looked at me dead serious and said, but Ryan, it really is like reading a dictionary. I just keep thinking, like, what dictionary and phone book are you guys reading? If I'm being perfectly honest, I, I think it's more like an instruction manual. We got the photo of our friend back here. It can kind of feel like that sometimes. Like, we've got this big, long list of instructions in front of us, and just a thousand tiny little pieces, and we're just staring at it, trying to make sense of it. So... So it's not really, well, it's true, I didn't go, I didn't say to Ryan, all right, I want the most interesting guy in our church to talk about the most interesting book in the Bible. There's really, there's really some truth to that. I mean, just um, take a look at Ryan. Does he not look interesting? I, I told him as we were preparing for this, the most important thing is you be you. And... You hang out with Ryan, and, and you, you don't go, well, you know, he's just like the normal average church member. He's just like everybody else. He is not. He is not. He is, he is unique. He is interesting, and that's a, that's a positive thing. So the same is true with the book of Leviticus. You don't read the book of Leviticus and go, yeah, it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? No, absolutely not. This is not like any other book that you see in the Bible. It's, it's different. It's unique. But, but that's what makes the book of Leviticus so incredibly interesting. But here's what's crazy about that. I'm going to guess, if I were to ask for a show of hands, and I won't, that most of us have never heard many sermons from this book, right? Or at least not, not many at all, if you even heard one. And I'm going to guess that many of us have never even really spent much time in this book. My experience is, and I hear this a lot, and it always happens around February or March, people have this New Year's goal, and they're going to read through the Bible completely through the whole year. And so they're, they jump in Genesis, and man, they're rocking along in Genesis, and they get into Exodus, and that's just really awesome. A lot of cool stories, a little bit of detail, but it's still working out. And then all of a sudden, you get to Leviticus, and it's like the brakes hit. And Eddie, I just, I just couldn't go any further. It's just so tedious. It's so boring. It's so irrelevant. It's so confusing. And so all of a sudden, this grand New Year's resolution comes to an end. And this incredible book 
in our lives remains in obscurity, unread. But you got to think about this for a moment. This is a book of like, what is it, 27 chapters. I should know. I've been studying it quite a bit. God has given it to us. He's preserved it for us for a reason. Shouldn't we want to know why? There, there's, a, there's a message in this book. And I think we should want to know, God, what is your message here? I'm going to suggest to you that the main problem that we have with the book of Leviticus isn't Leviticus. It's us. And here's what I mean by that. And this may be a little bit rude or a little bit too, too, um, too direct, but I think perhaps the problem isn't Leviticus, but rather the problem is us in the sense that we could be, maybe some of us could be a bit lazy, maybe a bit spiritually mature. You give me something easy to read and I'll coast right through it but when something becomes a little bit too difficult for me then I just kind of back off to borrow from the language of the the writer of the book of Hebrews and that's going to you're going to hear us talk a lot about Hebrews that's like the the sister book accompanying Leviticus if you want to know what Leviticus is about Hebrews is a commentary telling you about that and the Hebrew writer says you know too many Christians they're they're of this this mindset well they'll drink milk and they just live on milk, but they never move on to meat. And he says the reason they do that, because they're lazy. And they're spiritually immature. If you'll puree my food for me, make it easy. Man, I'll, I'll read the story of the Good Samaritan any day. But man, when it gets a little bit difficult and a little bit complicated, if I have to put in effort, man, I just don't know. Listen, Leviticus is not milk. It's meat. But meat's a good thing, isn't it? Listen, one of, my, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things to eat is a bone-in ribeye steak. But that takes some effort to eat. It's not like eating vanilla pudding. You've got to work at it. And after I've been working at it, sometimes I'll actually take the bone, pick it up, and start chewing from it. It embarrasses Karen if we're in a restaurant. But it's like, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's delicious. That's Leviticus. Here's your quote for the day. This is very intellectual. Leviticus is not the jello of the Bible. It's the beef jerky of the Bible. And I think, I think we've avoided, I think another reason, not only because maybe we're just a little bit lazy and immature, we just don't want to chew into something, but I think another reason why we back away from Leviticus is because we fail to see it, and I'll say it one way then another way, in its larger historical and literary context. We, we fail to see its big picture. And I'll, I'll grant you this, when you get into Leviticus, you're going to go, oh man, there's so many details and so many minute things to look at. You sometimes can get lost in all of that that you fail to see the big picture. And so our objective, our goal as we spend some time in this book is to show you the big picture of Leviticus and then to show you how it fits into the big picture of the Bible and then to show you how Leviticus fits into the big picture of our lives in very practical and relevant ways. Now, I think it's only fair that, that we address the elephant in the room. Because some of you are looking at me and you're going, well, what's, what's, you, why? Now, you're not an elephant. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> Eddie, you picked a guy who probably has the most noticeable tattoos in our whole church to do what book? 
the only book in the Bible, Leviticus, which has perhaps one verse that might speak against having tattoos. Now, we'll get to that part later. Yeah, that's later. <laughs> but let me tell you what Ryan, why Ryan is up here. So, um, do you remember, I don't know, three or four or five years ago, whenever it was, I asked Ryan and his wife to do a video of um, their life group experience. And just to encourage people to be a part of life groups, just like Tony was talking to you about that. And then I invited Ryan to come up here and spend, I don't know, he spoke to us for about eight to ten minutes, kind of telling his life journey and his story. And then um, I went to his life group at his home one time, and I sat as he taught through, I think it was the Gospel of Luke. And every time I've been with Ryan in, in, in such settings, I thought, this guy has, has something to offer. He has, he has a, a hunger for God's word and he has a unique approach to scripture that most people don't have. And so one day, Ryan and I were at, at, at the cafe at Pikes Park drinking coffee and I said, Ryan, I don't mean to scare you, but I think you have a gift. And I thought he'd go, oh, no way, I know where you're going with that. But instead he said, well, you know, my, my grandmother told me that too, Eddie. So we began to talk, and he was sharing with me his love for, especially the Old Testament, and how he'd been studying through the book of Leviticus. And he said to me, Eddie, what do you think? If, if you ever want to help doing something in the book of Leviticus, man, just, just let me know. And I'm, I didn't say this, but I'm going, right, that's never going to happen, Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> but that stuck with me throughout the year. And I thought to myself, why not? So here we are. All right, so I want to tell you a little bit about, uh, about the scope and intention of these lessons on my part. So to anybody who's spent a lot of time in this book, much of this will more than likely be a review. Um, but for those of you who, uh, if there are any, who had no idea that Leviticus was even a book in the Bible or have no idea what it's about, you might be in for a little bit of a shock. Uh, so we're going to spend five more weeks. That's six total in this book. And I really believe that in that time, we will barely begin to scratch the surface of what this book has to offer us. So my goal is not to give you the definitive guide to Leviticus. Uh, my goal is uh, more to give you a rough outline, an idea of what's going on. And uh, I want to show you some things about our faith and about our God that might not be entirely unique to this book, but the way that they are revealed to us mostly are. So I'm sure we all have Bibles or at least access to one. Um, and y'all can go line by line if you want and read it for yourself, and I suggest that you do. Um, you also have the option of just skimming through and reading the headers. Um, but I want to kind of split that difference and give you enough detail while not abridging or summarizing this book uh, into complete obscurity. And maybe even we can learn something along the way. And if any of you were perhaps uh, too intimidated or just frankly uninterested to study this book for yourself, I'd like to diffuse some of that and maybe sand off some of those rough edges that may have kept you from this book. So, so his part, here's what's going to happen as we do this together. His part, he's going to take us into the text. That's the hardest part. I got the easy work. He's going to take us in the text and he's going to answer two questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And then my job primarily is going to answer the question, what does it mean for us? Like, 
So what? And that's the big question everybody has. Leviticus, that's not relevant. So my job is, and I'm going to try to accomplish this in two ways. I'm going to take us from Leviticus and say, look in the New Testament and how he's bringing that out in the New Testament. So we're going to look at the New Testament parallels to Leviticus, and then I'm going to show you how what we're seeing in this book as it's reflected in the New Testament has a very practical and relevant application for our lives even today. So that's kind of like the plan for this series. Something else I think would be a good idea before we get into this text next week uh, would be to give you some context as to where Israel was at with their walk with God and define some of these terms that you might be reading or hearing along the way in these lessons. So Ryan's going to tell you about some of the terms. What I want to do is talk to you about whenever you read a book in the Bible, and, and certainly with Leviticus, and I think this is where we break down in our understanding of the book, you always want to ask the question, so what was going on when this book was written? What was happening with the people that prompted God to say, we, 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 need, we need to write this book? Scholars call that the occasion. What was the historical context? Well, you don't have to sit here and speculate and go back and forth. Well, I wonder what it might have been. Leviticus is extremely clear about that. You go all the way to the end of the book, all the way to the very last chapter, the very last verse, and he gives us a powerful historical clue. He says this in verse 34. These are the commands of the Lord these are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites right before that in the previous chapter, the very last verse, chapter 26 and verse 46. It says, these are the decrees, the laws, and the regulations that the Lord established on Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses. That's the setting. God's people at the base of Mount Sinai. You, you know the historical story. We'll start where they were in Egypt and God delivered a huge story for God's people. Always remember, he delivers them out of Egypt. He takes them three months from Egypt, across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And for one year, God's people camped out at the base of Mount Sinai. And there God gave Moses his words and his laws, basically saying, here are my words, live by them. But you'll also notice God says to Moses and to the people, and here's a, a blueprint for what they call the tabernacle. This is the place of worship. Here is the blueprint for the tabernacle. Worship in it. So that's where book of, the book of Leviticus comes in. It was written to give instructions about this, this place of worship. It was called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, this was kind of like what you might call a, a, a portable church building the people could take it and fold it up they could roll it up they could put it on their shoulders and they could carry as they traveled you know the story of the wilderness wanderings and then whenever they got to where they were going they would stop they would unroll it they would unfold it and they would set it up and it was there in this place in this in this tent of meeting god met with his people and it was there in this tent of meeting that a very special group of people they were from one of the 12 tribes of israel one of the, the levites were servants of the Lord there. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of uh, the name Leviticus, you see the name Levite built into there. The word literally in uh, Leviticus in Hebrew means pertaining to the Levites. So that's the book of Leviticus. It was written while the Israelites were, were camped at Mount Sinai for the purpose of giving them instructions about the place where God met with his people. It's a book about worship in the holy presence of God. But one of the areas where you kind of, get, kind of hit your brakes and have a complication of, of reading it, you start reading through it, and all of a sudden, it's just language that's not like the way we speak in our day. 
there's words like Torah or words like horns of the altar, and you're sitting there going, what is that? And so Ronnie and I were talking, and we thought, you know, in this kind of like introduction lesson, we really need to give you a picture of and define some of these terms and phrases and words that we're going to come upon in this series. So Ryan's going to help us understand that. I want to talk to you about the word law or Torah. So when you hear Torah, most people probably think first five books of Moses. Uh, but if you hear law, you probably think legislation as if God and Moses and the spirit of Abraham sat down and like voted on what the laws of God's people were going to be. I wasn't there, so I can't say for sure, but I don't think that's exactly how it happened. Uh, when you hear the word law in this context, I want you to think less legislation and more knowledge or information. Uh, so now let's talk about uh, the courtyard a little bit here. Uh, so here's a bird's eye view of the courtyard. And if you look at the right side of the screen where this arrow is, uh, that's the entryway. And when you walked in, uh, the first thing you'd run into uh, is the um, altar of burnt offerings. Just a little bit further beyond that, that blue dot would be the bronze laver. And then off to the left side, this kind of a U-shape, that's the tent of meetings. And when you walked into the tent of meetings, you'd look off to the left and you would see the gold lampstand, and off to the right uh, would be the table of showbread. And then directly in front of you, a little bit deeper in, uh, is where the altar, of, uh, the altar of incense would be. Now just behind that is the veil. Now the veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And behind that veil in the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And throughout the latter portions of Exodus, we get a bunch of super detailed instructions on how these things were to be built, uh, what material were to be used, and their dimensions. Uh, so let's look at these things a little bit closer now. So this is the uh, altar of burnt offerings. Uh, this was a bronze construction. Uh, it had a grate about halfway down, four horns on each of the corners. Uh, and this is where the various offerings and sacrifices were, as you may have guessed, burnt. Uh, it also had uh, rings on the side for carrying handles to be inserted. Because uh, after the camp, a uh, one-year period of time that Israel camped at the base of Mount Sinai, they were still a very nomadic tribe, so most of these things had to be picked up and carried around. Uh, next, we have the bronze laver. This is where the priests would wash to become ritually clean before entering into the tabernacle. After that, uh, on the inside of the tabernacle, as I mentioned, is the gold lampstand that would be sitting off to the left, uh, and that sits opposite the table of showbread. This is the table of showbread. This had 12 uh, loaves of bread on it to signify, signify the 12 tribes of Israel. After that, the altar of incense. This looked similar to the altar of burnt offerings. Um, this is where uh, incense were burned. It also had four horns on each of the corners uh, where blood was instructed to be sprinkled, carrying handles as well. And then uh, finally, the Ark of the Covenant. This was the most holy piece of furniture in all of the sanctuary. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant uh, was kept a copy of the Ten Commandments, a golden jar of manna, and Aaron's staff. And then finally, the Tent of Meetings. So this is outlined in Exodus chapter 36 uh, through chapter 38, 20. Please study the construction of the tabernacle for yourself and read the intense detail that is outlined in these passages. This is where the glory of the Lord dwelled in the sight of all the people, as we see in Exodus 40, 38, uh, Exodus 40, 34 through 38. And the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meetings because the cloud had settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. 
Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel. You know, one of my, um, I would say almost every Sunday morning prayers before I come here, is I have this, this passage in mind that Ryan just read where it says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And I pray that every Sunday morning, God, may your glory fill the presence of this place. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. I don't know if you noticed it, and perhaps you haven't yet, but there's, there's a problem. And I want to show you this problem. It's, it's, it's quite, quite fascinating. As you understand this problem, it's going to help us better understand the book of Leviticus. And so we have to take a look at the slide. I don't think that's got the verses up there, so we're just going to have to... Let's try the next slide, Christy. That's not the one, so let's just go back. You'll just have to trust me on this one. As Exodus comes to a close and Leviticus opens, we see as Ryan was reading for us there in the, in the last passage of, of the book of Exodus, it says that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting. Couldn't go in. So then Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1 opens up and it says, the Lord spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting. And then you work your way through the book of Leviticus. And then as Leviticus closes and Numbers opens up, that's the very next book. We see in Numbers chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, not from the tent of meeting, but now in the tent of meeting. Do you see what just happened? This problem was fixed. At the beginning of Leviticus, Moses couldn't enter the place of worship. You see that at the end of Exodus. God spoke to him from the tent of meeting. At the end of Leviticus, he is now in the presence of God, and God is speaking to him there. So you're kind of thinking, how did that problem get fixed? What was it that changed? What was it that worked it out where Moses could now enter into the tent of meeting? Well, the answer to that question is found here in the book of Leviticus. You could call the Leviticus, and I got this sentence from Ryan's notes. I don't know if they're his originally or if it's um, something he got from someone else. But Leviticus, you could call it the instruction manual God provides for his people to enter into his holy presence. And then I add to that, and there to live and there to worship. But now what's fascinating about this book, and we're going to try to show you this, it's quite complicated, but it's fascinating to understand. The way God gives these instructions is this fascinating way he divides the book up into these various different sections. And as you understand these different sections which represent different themes of the book of Leviticus, all of a sudden you start understanding the complete book. So let's take a look at those sections. So Leviticus can be separated into four main sections, so we will have four weeks dedicated to each of those sections with a final conclusion week. Uh, so section one is rituals. Uh, and that covers uh, chapter one through seven that outline ritual offerings and sacrifices, which were basically ways of saying, I'm sorry, or thank you to God. And chapter 23 through 25 that outline ritual holidays and feast. Each retells a different part of the story about how God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness into the promised land and reminded them of who they are and their relationship to God. And that's going to be next week. Uh, following that are the priest laws. Chapter 8 through 10 are where Aaron and his sons are anointed priests, and the priesthood gets off to a bit of a rocky start. And chapter 21 and 22 
which contain additional qualifications for priests, uh, some sandry laws, and some additional information on sacrifices. Now, following that are the purity laws. Uh, chapter 11 through 15 cover ritual purity, ways uh, one can become clean or unclean, uh, things like coming into contact with certain bodily fluids, touching dead animals, or eating certain foods. And chapter 18 through 20 cover moral purity, things like caring for the poor, maintaining a high level of sexual integrity, and promoting social justice. Now, these three sections are separated out into six different parts, and they all surround uh, one of the explanation of one of uh, Israel's ritual feasts, uh, the Day of Atonement, and that will be week five. So chances are good that every single sin was not covered by a ritual sacrifice, and that sin was being committed and going unnoticed amongst the tribe of Israel. So once a year, uh, the entire congregation would participate in this ritual that served as kind of a, a reset button for the sins of the past year. And then finally, the book concludes with a blessing. If the people are faithful and abide by the terms of God's covenant, and a long list of curses that function as a warning to the people if they are not faithful and do not listen. Now, these sections are not 100% black and white. So we see some priest laws in the section on rituals, some ritual laws in the sections on priests and purity laws, and then we see some purity laws in the sections on priests and so on and so forth. So there's going to be some overlay as we go through. So we're not going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, okay? That would be awesome to do. We don't have time. Like, like Ryan was saying, we're going to take these sections as they represent themes, and we're going to show you the major themes in this book. But I would encourage you, we would encourage you, as he mentioned earlier, as, as we're working through um, this book together on Sundays, I encourage you to read this on your own at home. And so what we've done, you'll see it in your bulletins. If you don't have a bulletin, pick it up. There's a summer reading schedule for the next six weeks, for the six weeks of this series, starting this week, encourage you to jump in and read on your own. You'll find this in the bulletin. And basically what you'll see is what Ryan and I are going to cover this Sunday. I'm give, we've given you the chapters and the main focus of what we're going to be looking at. And that gives you a chance to kind of be reading up to it and being ready for this Sunday. And if our life groups that are meeting uh, during the summer, you've been given this guide as well to kind of use as, as, as your discussion guide for your groups. So I mentioned to you earlier, what's going to happen? You're going to get in there and, and you're going to get like bogged down and you're going to get confused. You might feel that way. You might feel a little bit lost. And so one of the most important things is you be reminded of the big picture, the, the thesis of this book, perhaps. If I could summarize in one sentence, the whole book of Leviticus, I'd say it's about this. The book of Leviticus is about entering into, worshiping in, and living in the holy presence of God. And that's with an emphasis on the word holy. You'll notice that word constantly in this book. As a matter of fact, you probably noticed it in a lot of our songs that were selected for today's service based upon that theme. That's the focus, holiness. And that's why we've entitled this series holy God and a holy people. And I love so much what was shared earlier in our, um, in our communion thoughts. It's extremely important, a really important point we want you to catch. We've made it so important, it's so important we've made it as our, as our subtitle. You can't read this very well, but it comes from Leviticus 20 and verse 8 where we read, I am the Lord who makes you holy. 
We don't want you to approach this book as God's rules and God's instructions telling you what you must do to make yourself holy. That's not Leviticus. Leviticus is God calling you into his presence, into his holy presence. And it's there in the holy presence of God that he makes his people holy. That's where this book is leading us. And then as you zoom out of Leviticus and you see it in the larger context of the Bible story, we're going to discover as we look at the New Testament parallels how all of this was accomplished through Jesus. That through Jesus Christ, not only did God make a way for us to enter into His holy presence, but because of Christ, He has made us to be His holy presence. We know in New Testament theology that we as individual Christians and we as the church collectively, we are the sacred dwelling place of a holy God. Talking about relevant and practical for our lives. We'll go there eventually, I'm sure, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as, as the Apostle Paul was was dealing with some, some moral issues and some ethical issues and trying to get them to really live as God would have them to live, he says to them, do you not know what Leviticus was teaching? Do you not know that you are the holy dwelling place, the temple of the living God, and this should impact every day how we live, not to be holy, but because God makes us holy. I would guess that one of the most popular quotes from all of Leviticus that's used in the New Testament are the words recorded by the Apostle Peter in chapter 1 of his first letter where he writes these words. Be holy, for I am holy. That is God's message and God's call to us from the book of Leviticus. And I pray that we will hear that call as we journey together through this book. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for this, this ancient book that you've given to us that we've somewhat ignored. But you have something here that you want us to hear. Oh God, I, I lift up Ryan and myself too. Use us as your instruments to not say what we think it says, but to say what you want to say through us in this book. God, we confess to you this morning that you truly are indeed the Holy One of Israel. We thank you, Lord God, that it's your desire for us to, to dwell and live in your holy presence and that through Jesus Christ you have made us to be saints, the most holy place where you live and dwell. Father, we thank you that through Jesus you've given us a holy standing before you and before your throne. And Father, it is our desire as we journey together through this book, oh Father, you take us where we are and bring us deeper into lives of holiness that reflect your image. God, it is, it is, it is beyond our complete comprehension, but we thank you to the degree that we understand it, that because of Jesus Christ, we can be so bold and so daring as to come into your presence and offer our lives to you, and that we can come into your presence 
and bring you our, our prayers, our requests, and our intercessions for others. And so now, Father, with that in mind, we, we offer this song to you as, as an expression, of, as a prayer. Thankful that in this place of holiness, we can worship you with this song. And in this time of uh, prayer, I want to ask our shepherds to be available. If there's someone here, and there are many people here carrying a heavy burden, I want you to reach out. Bob and Jamie will be in the foyer to receive you for prayer. If you know someone here that um, is desperately in need of your hug or your prayer, the beautiful thing about it, and we're going to see it later on, is that we're all been called to be God's priest in his household. We all have the beautiful privilege to be intercessors. And so this is a great chance for us to pray together. So let's offer up this song and go before God in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.